We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello, everyone. Wonderfully enough, it is that time again. Time for the Run ATL Podcast presented by Big Peach Running Company. My name is Mike Cosentino, and I get the terrific privilege to host this little audio affair. And alongside me, we have some real production expertise and some prime time talent who joins us on our journey. He's right here right now. Hello, Dolomite Dave. Hello. How are you? It is good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, so, you know, we've got some some training. It's, you know, it's, I guess it's officially fall. It doesn't it feel is. quite like it yet. So this weekend, I think we'll start feeling some of those, you know, cooler temps, which I think a lot of us are looking forward to. Some cooler running and uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and we will be running. But before we touch on that simple fact, one of the facts that we reported on in our first episode, now into double digits we are, but in our first episode, we talked about Nike's effort with some of their elite athletes at what was referred to as breaking two. It became what might be classified as a failed attempt, very heroic nonetheless, to get some of those athletes across the finish line in a 26.2 mile jaunt in under two hours. It did not happen then or there in Milan, Italy, but now it just transpired again, another attempt. So what happened this time? Yeah, so this this past weekend was um, the Berlin Marathon. So it's one of the world marathon majors. And this is, I guess, the first marathon since uh, Kachogi, you know, ran uh, for breaking two. So, you know, there was a lot of buzz whether he was actually going to do it because the, the breaking two was a controlled event. So it doesn't technically that count. first time it was, correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, it didn't count because he got uh, two hours and 25 seconds. So because it was on a track and it was you know control type of event with a pace car and, 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 and drafting, it doesn't technically count, but it's a great attempt at what's possible and what can be done with the training and you know with the right gear and, and, and coaching and everything else. So this was the first time since then that you know he attempted to um, to run and so there's a buzz around it. He did not. Uh, get the record. Comes he won. up short again. He won the race. He but won comes the race up short on the breaking two. Right. So uh, missed it by 35 seconds. Oh my goodness! So 25 seconds he missed it in a controlled environment, but only 35 seconds in what was a legitimate race where there was. Well, but he missed it by 35 seconds from the world record. Okay. So, so this wasn't off. the breaking two. 35 seconds off the world record. Yeah. Yeah. So he still had quite a bit. I mean, he he, he finished. Um, in 202.57, so he still needed yeah, almost three minutes to break two. Still tough to relate to. Yeah. 202 high. Yep. You and I have an event coming up this weekend. Yes, Tortoise we do. and Hare 50K. What are the chances of you going 202.57 <laughs> on that course and in that race? Only if I don't finish. <laughs> so you might drop at the two-hour and two-minute mark, but if you are going to finish, as you have done now for three years in a row, it won't be in 202. No, no. Uh, you know, 
So last year, I, you know, you know, my goal was to finish in about seven hours. Um, and because of heat and, you know, because last year temperatures did get up into about the 90s. I think it started maybe in the mid 70s and got into it was in the warm. 90s. And so it was warm. And so that really impacted, you know, my race. And uh, this year it's, you know, we're expecting it to be a, a bit cooler. Um, so, you know, there's a possibility. I mean, there's some training that I've done that, Leads me to believe that under the right conditions, I'll be able to to, to get that goal and, and to hit seven, maybe even break seven. But at the same time, you know, last year, uh, you know, my last race of the year was a 50K. It was Duncan Ridge, and I DNF'd. I, I, I had done Such too many. a humble co-host to just <laughs> go ahead and admit that. That's awesome. You've had many accomplishments in your running racing tri career to be so forthright with the fact that you have a dnf on your race roster is pretty cool well yeah it's it's my my first and only dnf and it's and really this is my first ultra since that dnf so there's part of it in the back of your mind is like ah oh, you know i was like i really suffered during that one it was a tough course am i going to suffer again so there's that mental kind of you know wheel that's kind of going in your head is like how bad am I going to suffer? And am I going to, to DNF again? Am I going to be able to perform like I think I can? You know, my training hasn't gone as well as I would have liked. I ended up getting sick a couple weeks ago. And so that derailed my training. I had like one week where I hit almost 50 miles for, for a week and then got sick. And then it's been, you know, kind of a, a three, four week taper. I've been able to run and, and uh, but not to that level, you know, to where I was getting those miles. I've probably dropped to maybe 20, 25 miles a week since then. But looking at last year's training schedule, and I must've done something similar because that's kind of, I'm kind of doing the exact same thing I did last year. So yeah, I have no idea what it's gonna be like. I mean, I've, I've tried to do some strengthening and some conditioning. I actually worked on my car this, this weekend. I actually, I've got a Jeep Wrangler and it's kind of a project where I kind of tinker with it. I lifted it and leveled it and I got a workout. I'm sore. My back is sore. My quads, everything is sore. So I'm hoping that I recover from that and that a little bit of strength training allows me to you know, conquer uh, the, the terrain that we'll have on Saturday. Well, it'll be a tough but very fun day. So breaking seven with our own D2, maybe not going to get the global press that breaking two and Iliad Kipchoge got in Berlin, but we will definitely follow up with you in a future episode. Let everybody know what happened and how that came well, how are together? you feeling because because yeah you had a strong finish last year and i know you i don't know what your training's been like i know you've had some issues this year i i feel like i have my training has been off and on also something that i believe most of our listeners can relate to but we're going to roll the dice we're going to go out there with some confidence i felt like last year's finish especially given what transpired in the last third of the course of just kind of rallying and coming back relatively strong as a confidence builder. You and I both have tremendous experience both on those trails as well as in general at this point in trail running. So we'll lean into that. We'll see what happens and perhaps both of us will live to tell about it and be stronger for it. So this episode, we got work to do. We got important work to do. We are going to dive into it now. And this episode, super cool D2. As you know, our featured conversation today is Sarah Shanahan who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. This is an episode we've wanted to bring to our audience for quite some time. Sarah has been doing this kind of work for over 10 years 
and began doing so immediately after receiving her master's in science and nutrition education from, get this, little Ivy League joining us, Columbia University. And then also, I know one of the things that you and I love about Sarah, her story is very cool to you and to me because like us, she had a bit of a career pivot that was heavily influenced by running itself as a pursuit of hers. And maybe more specifically, she had traded in previous roles as a medical director, as a nurse case manager to take on what she believes now is her dream role. We'll make sure that she gives us some of the backstory to that transition. And, and now more currently, she's the corporate and community wellness manager for Good Measure Meals, who's a partner of ours at Big Peach Running Company. They're also a partner of the Atlanta Track Club and a social enterprise that is backed by Open Hand Atlanta. So I know this forthcoming discussion will allow us to learn a lot more about nutrition and what we would consider as nutritional sensibility with choices we're making every day. You'll learn a little bit more about Good Measure Meals as well. But part of why I'm also really, really jazzed is I think you and I, D2, can suggest very, very confidently that we represent a lot, maybe a ton of persons, whether they're listening for the first time or who have joined us on this run ATL podcast many times before, who quite honestly eat and choose their food against the same backdrop that we do. And, and maybe more specifically, we're hardly the only ones who are constantly on the move or the only ones who have to balance their mealtime and snacking choices alongside a substantial amount of work to be done, hobbies to be enjoyed, certainly races perhaps to train for, kids to be raised, good times to be had. We'll get into the elements that are so important to all of us with Sarah that are indicative of this common existence. Busy, busy, busy. I know you and I both believe this content coming up it applies to everyone. So right after this message, it will be our featured conversation with Sarah Shanahan. Do not go anywhere. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Injinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles? It doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast and D2. True to our words and our intro in studio now, Sarah Shanahan from Good Measure Meals. When we look at the list of guests that we have the good fortune of having a conversation with, I know you and I have been excited about this one. So Sarah, thank you for being part of this and joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to be here and kind of bringing what we've done in the store into your yep. podcast. Well, and I think to some degree we may be kindred souls already because one of the things that I learned about you as we were prepping for this particular episode is that you had a little bit of a diversion in your career that at least to some degree was a result of your own running routine 
And I just immediately connect with people who have that as part of their backstory. Do you mind, just as we kind of kick off, sharing some of that with us? I would love to share it. And I'll give you the short version because the long version, <laughs> although very interesting, is long. Um, so just, I was in college and I could not run. Like legitimately was walking on a treadmill for exercise. Like how boring is that? And got bored. And okay. so decided I wanted to try to run and I could not run for five minutes. And so without having a clue what I was doing, made a goal to be able to run for 30 minutes. And it took me, I don't even know how long, but ages to build up to this like 30 minute period. Wow, that's awesome. So then I was fine with that. Um, and then one time I had to run outside and I could not run for 30 minutes outside because I didn't know how to pace myself. Anyway, fast forward, I was living in Chicago, running a few miles here and there and watched the marathon for the first time and thought these people were nuts. This is the marathon in Chicago? Chicago Marathon. Excellent. I believe it was 2001. Okay. In 2002, I had a girlfriend, my potluck freshman year roommate, that was training here in Atlanta to run the Chicago Marathon. And I decided I would get in and like jump in and like support her for a few miles. And she was run walking because she had hurt her knee and I ended up doing half of this thing with her. Had no training whatsoever. I don't even think I had eaten that morning and decided then and there that marathoning was my thing. And so spent the next year kind of training for the ability to do the 2003 Chicago Marathon, which I did complete. And through that process of training, realized I had no idea how to fuel my body for what I was doing. And so our, the head of our running team told me that he ate Pop-Tarts. So that's what I did before runs was eat Pop-Tarts. The and poor man's power bar <laughs> was exactly. what we used to refer to as Pop-Tarts. Oh, I mean, this was like the thing, you eat Pop-Tarts. But luckily someone handed me Nancy Clark's food guide, food guide for marathoners while I was training and it just spoke to me. This book told me everything I wanted to know and got me really excited about nutrition and kind of when I was a little stagnant in my career. I was a nurse, but I was working as um, a, a nonprofit, and I decided that dietetics was where I wanted to go because I wanted to teach people like myself who had no idea what they were doing how to fuel their body to do what they needed it to do. Well, you'll appreciate this then if you're familiar with Nancy Clark. And for those of you who are not, she's got tremendous material. In fact, we'll put a link in the show notes, but I think you'll find this as a compliment then because we've kind of referred to you as our local Nancy Clark. We've had a brand partner of ours work with Nancy. And so we've had her in our store as well. We might say that she was the warm-up act for I... you because <laughs> she was in our store longer ago than, than what you've been. Oh, that's so exciting to hear. No, really, truly. And she's a dietitian. Just want to like, you know, support our, our profession. But yep. um, no, she's fantastic. And I really don't know, A, if I would have been able to finish that marathon without that book. And B, I don't think I would have figured out that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Well, and, and now, now that you're here, I will tell you it's an inspiration not just to hear that you start like all of us do, gosh, am I going to survive five <laughs> minutes? But the fact that you ran a half marathon essentially with your friend on no training, I think there's some inspiration to be had there that sometimes you just got to jump in, say, I'm willing to help and see what happens. And it turned out obviously well for you and your friend. And now here we are having this conversation. Yeah, to be clear, though, I really do want people to fuel better. <laughs> We're not suggesting that. We, it was really the desire to be helpful for a friend that was the genesis for why Sarah took that path at that time. But nonetheless, she did finish, and, and we do want you to fuel properly. And we're going to talk about that. Let's dive right in. There's a couple of things that you know so, so well. And before we get into fueling for races, let's start maybe a little bit 
closer to where more and more people just need to be mindful and where many of our listeners would say, well, that is kind of 201 or 301 for me, fueling for a race. I'm back at that point where I just need to take nutrition more seriously. I need to know where to begin and I need to know that there are some simple, perhaps, first steps that I can take that will allow me to get out of the gates and build some confidence that I can change my nutrition habits for the better so that eventually I have that base to make maybe more sophisticated or more advanced decisions, but first things first. So for that person who is just thinking, yes, for me, nutrition is a gap or nutrition is a challenge or maybe even a problem, what are some of the things that you would tell them right away to be mindful of and maybe give them a good place to start? I think that's such a great question. And um, I have a lot of different answers for that. But in all <laughs> honesty, the first one is like start slow. Because big overhauls of anything, any sort of goal that you set, when you go too far too fast, sometimes it gets you to where you want to go, but most often those aren't the things that stick. And so figuring out what those small things are that you can change and do it for a while and feel really accomplished by it and then pick the next thing and do that one for a while. And you know, as you go through your life, because we are looking at lifestyle changes, right? And being mm -hmm. able to live a long, healthy, productive life. Enjoyable, sure. So what are th those things start to build on each other and all of a sudden you can look back and see the success that you, know, you have really accomplished and where you came from and where you, um, where you ended up. But if there's like, a starting place and everyone's mm -hmm. different. Okay. Um, in fact, we do nutrition consultations in our office at Good Measure Meals um, because everyone is different and everyone needs a different starting place. But the one thing I recommend to everyone is to think about your plate like a clock face, if you will, and half of that plate, fill it up with veggies, a quarter of it needs to be grain, a quarter of it needs to be some sort of lean protein. And it's a great way to just start balancing your intake to know that you're getting all of the nutrients that you need, or at least a better, you know, moving in a better direction towards getting those nutrients. And it's simple enough because we can all envision what a plate looks like. Well, and even when we, we don't envision, and again, for our show notes, this will certainly be included, but that information's on goodmeasuredmeals.com. So for somebody that's like, what were those percentages or what mm -hmm. does that plate look like? And they have this vision in their mind right now, but of course it goes away five minutes from now, they can kind of go back check out those links, see what you're saying, and refer to it as often as they need to. Yeah, and you can probably find it more likely on some of our blog posts. Okay. Um, but, and, and again, we are always here as a resource to get each person started on what their nutritional journey is gonna be. I love that phrase, nutritional journey, because I think that is something that we're all on. In fact, here's my declarative statement, maybe what would be my absolute as we, we kind of move ahead, and we're not, going to leave that person who's just getting out of the gates behind. But let's take a look and, and maybe what the expression is, is the bell curve. And D2 and I think by our own admission would say, we're part of that bell curve. And I know many, many of our listeners are. So for those of us who are that majority and, and kind of comprise why there is that bell shape to the curve of where you know everyone or most Americans might be on their own nutritional journey to use your term, what is one thing that first you would suggest that we just have to or should be doing more of. And then conversely, Sarah, what would you say is something that maybe even not widely known is something that we really, really need to eliminate or should stop doing? Again, a great question. And I'm gonna go back a little bit to what I said about the plate, 
vegetables. And I'm going to expand it to produce. Okay. We need to consume more plants. This is a blanket statement as Americans. We overconsume animal proteins and animal fats, and we underconsume fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And if you want to narrow it down from there, just pick vegetables. Um, I think it's only about a third of Americans consume the amount of vegetables that are recommended, which is really not that much. Um, it's you know about two and a half ish cups of cooked vegetables a day. So you say cooked. Is there just to kind of insert this? Is there a great difference between cooked and raw for those of us who may prefer them the other way? Nutritionally? Yes. However you would want. Well, so size. Let's start with size. Okay. Like cooked leafies like spinach, mm -hmm. they're going to shrink down a lot. So the serving size gets a lot smaller when you cook it versus when it is raw. Okay. So you need to bulk, if it's lettuces, lettuce type of things, you need to just bulk it up a little bit more. But you think about broccoli, when you cook a broccoli, it's not, it doesn't shrink so much. Nutritionally, as long as you are not boiling those veggies, so as long as you're either eating them raw or roasting them or steaming them or something that doesn't come in contact with liquid, okay. then nutrients are pretty similar. There's some breakdown of nutrients, but it's not huge. Um, so cooked, raw, whichever way you want to get them in, organic, non-organic, as long as you are getting those vegetables, they're packed with fiber, packed with fluids, packed with vitamins and minerals. And again, we as a population just do not eat enough of them. Okay, I'm going to tease this out a little further just to be sure that I'm, I'm certain and, and hopefully listeners who are far smarter than I am, of course, are as well. But two of my favorite things to eat are salads, one with spinach or two with kale, depending on you know, what time of year it is. And we're kind of coming into a sweet spot now that we're going into fall for those two items. If I have that as a salad, nothing in there has been cooked. It's not necessarily any better or worse, but it's going to be more volume than if we were to take that same amount of kale that's in my salad bowl uncooked and we start to cook it. Now we might need to eat more kale or more spinach because of what has happened to the volume in the cooking process. Actually, the volume, you need to consume more volume when it's raw. More volume so when it's raw. So it looks bigger when it's raw and it, that is more what you should sort of think about when you're eating. So it cooks down because it just loses some of the water. And okay. all these vegetables and fruits too are such, have such high water content. When that water cooks out, the volume shrinks down. So like a cup of raw spinach shrinks down to like a half cup of cooked spinach. Okay. Ish. Y'all can't see me, but I'm waving my hands like an ish. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad I asked because that's very helpful. I know for me, and, and now I'll be thinking about it, D2, with every single salad I make this fall, I'll be like, okay, I really should have a portion and a half of this because of what Sarah said. Roughly. I think that's a great way to think about it. And typically when we make salads, we are consuming, um, especially with today's salads, a lot of them end up be being pretty large. And that's a great way to get your veggies in. But for those people that don't like salads, you don't have to have salads either. Again, you know, just think about what are the things that you do like. I would love for people to have a variety of different vegetables. But if you only have a couple of things that you like, start small, start with those, make sure you're packing them in. Okay, and, and you said produce kind of as a generic category, but you have referenced vegetables more specifically than you have fruits. Anything that you would tell us about the difference between fruits and vegetables? Well, our, the, the recommended, the suggested amounts that we consume, veggies are always higher. Fruits taste better to a large percentage of the population because they're sweet. Okay. And so often, and again, I'm, these are very blanket statements, but often if we're going to choose between broccoli and strawberries, we may choose strawberries because 
uh, they're a little bit more palatable. They don't have as much bitterness, which we do find in a lot of veggies. So I think it is easier for most people to get the fruit that they need, which is again about a cup a day. So it's not that much, cup, cup and a half-ish. So it's like a small-ish apple and a half cup of strawberries. You know, it's not a ton. So we end up eating more of those and less of the veggies. So if we can just kind of think about shifting that balance a little bit, um, then to ensure that we're getting those vegetables that we need. So you keep pulling out broccoli, and I would have it's anything so <laughs> before broccoli. I mean, you're right. Would I choose strawberries over broccoli? Yeah. Yes. But there is nothing you could put on the list that I personally wouldn't choose ahead of broccoli. But Like I said, it doesn't have to be your thing. You can figure out your things are spinach and kale, and, you know, that can be your great starting ground, too. Excellent. That's uh, that's terrific. And In fact, in a number of episodes that we've done on the Run ATL podcast, there have been reasons for whether it be weight loss or even just weight management. To, to come up. And I think this is a conversation that D2 and I certainly can testify that comes up in our stores on a very regular basis because people recognize that walking and running and what we refer to as a pedestrian active lifestyle is a terrific strategy for being mindful of your weight, whether the goal is some loss or just healthy maintenance. We know it's not just going after it with an aggressive running or walking routine. There is another side of defense, and I believe it has to do with nutrition. So let's take that individual who has now committed themselves to exercise. In your estimation, what might be the balance or the recommended approach that is inclusive of both exercise and diet in order to optimize how our body responds and, and what we think about from a weight management perspective. And quite frankly, just give us the best chance of feeling as good as we possibly can all the time. So first, I wholeheartedly agree. You can't do either of these things in silos. Like we need physical activity and we need good balanced nutrition to live our best lives, to be healthy, period. The research says it, we all know it. People that have taken it on, especially changed their lifestyle, feel better and then are more likely to do it more often. Um, there is no magic okay. in any of this. Too bad. Truly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, if there was, I would probably not be working full time right now, right? So um, there is no actual magic, but um, nutrition is so important not only for all the positive health benefits that we know, and I mean, I could rattle all that off, but I feel like that's what everyone hears so often, but you can exercise, so let's say run in, in this situation, you can run as long and as often and as fast as you want to, but if you are not taking care of the nutrition side of it, you will never see the benefits that you could from the training that you're doing. And the flip side, if weight loss is a goal, uh, it is really hard to outrun, I hate the word bad, but a bad diet or a poor intake or an unbalanced I mean, you know, you've written nutrition. an article about that that, that I've, I've read, and I remember the content more than the title, but I believe it was a creative title. Can you remind me? You can't outrun a cheeseburger. You can't outrun a cheeseburger. So I think that's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, and the example is, so this was published in the Atlanta Track Club's Wingfoot magazine, and we actually repurposed it on our um, Good Measure Meals Healthy Connections blog. But, so you run a 10K. So the average 150-pound person, this is who we do our research on, burns about 100 calories a mile. So you run a 10K. So you expend in that 10K about 600 calories. Okay, you get to the finish line, 
you consume half the bagel that's out there and you consume a banana. And so you've, re you've eaten now about 300 calories, a little bit over. But that's not where you stop, right? Plus that's not balanced, it's just carbohydrate. Um, so then you go out to brunch and you have a cheeseburger. Of course the cheeseburger comes with fries. And of course you're gonna have a beer because you ran a 10K and you're celebrating, right? <laughs> When you start she knows adding, us pretty well, yeah. too. <laughs> Sometimes there's beer at the finish line. And that, yeah, I didn't even count those. Why wait until we get all the way to the brunch? Right. right. Yeah. So you have now consumed that burger in most restaurants is at least 800 calories. The fries are at least 300 and sometimes up to 500 and more. And the beer, depending on what kind you choose, um, can be, you know, 200 and, and up from that. So we've got, you know, 1,700 or so calories that we've consumed from the finish line to the end of this celebratory brunch and we burned 600. And so if weight loss is your goal, I mean, and you worked hard for that 10K, like that is not easy for every person. And so you worked really hard to burn 600 calories and then you almost ate three times that much in just the subsequent, you know, couple of hours. So you have to be very mindful about how your consumption, and I'm just talking about calories as units of energy. I'm not talking about like actually balancing out your nutrients in this situation. However, I do think that's important. Um, but you know, if you're just looking at it from an energy balance perspective, you have thrown your balance out of your you know, weight loss goal um, and potentially put it in the other direction, kind of depending on what happens in the rest of your day. And I hear a lot of people that come to me all the time, well, I exercise so I can eat. I run so I can eat, I run so I can drink beer, yep. you know, whatever those goals are. And for some people that actually works, but for the vast majority of people that I, that I have worked with, it has been very hard to actually manage that energy expenditure and what you're taking in just from exercise alone, which is why nutrition is so important. So, and, and I'm going to pull this out even further because I think there are at least two divergent paths that we could go down. And of course, you're the one who's qualified to take us in the right direction on both of them. So first of all, let's talk about nutrition and the value or the quality of calories. Because I've seen people in my past who have managed to lose the weight, but now they're just an unenergetic skinny person as opposed to an unenergetic person who wants to lose a few LBs. Mm -hmm. Is that where nutrition lives? Is, is that where we can also see improvements beyond just maybe going down a few pant sizes? It's such, this is, I feel like such a, it's such a hot topic, right? So if we look at calories as units of energy, which is what they are, a calorie is a unit of energy for our body and we all need different units of energy to do what we need to do. And that is based on our genetics, it's based on our lean mass, it's based on our age, it's based on our activity level. There's so many things that, you know, make up what each of, you know, our individual calorie needs are. But that does not take into account again the quality of the food. So say you need 2,000 calories a day to lose weight and you eat 2,000 calories of grapes, I would say grapes are good. 2,000 calories of grapes every day is not a balanced intake. Say you need 2,000 calories a day to lose weight and you eat 2,000 calories of Twinkies, also not a balanced intake. So you could technically get to your weight loss goal, but your health is gonna plummet as is your energy level. Um, you may be able to fit in the jeans that you wanted to wear, but you're not gonna be really satisfied with it because you're not feeling great. So when we kind of switch, we, we need to in, in, 
include the the calorie talk because they are units of energy for our body and especially when we want to do things like run or walk or go to the gym or whatever we need to figure out how to balance that out to not only meet our needs but also help us meet our goals but we got to focus on the quality of the food and then actually i'm going to take it back to just that plate again like thinking about the plate that's a great reminder because again everyone needs something different but if we can start looking at balancing out some of our macronutrients so our um, our proteins, our carbohydrates, our fats, and generally I want to say our heart healthy fats, mm-hmm. um, and, and that plate can help us to make sure that we're at least on the right track without having to count every single calorie. Okay, well I just think nice that's balance. that's so important and I'm glad you pulled it together for us because for calories it's not just quantity. There is a quality consideration as well. Sure. So the other path that I want to take us down has to do with the mindset of, well, there are some of us who do perhaps stay very committed to our fitness routine because there are dietary choices that we make that are not gonna be celebrated, rightfully so, all the time. And when we do discussions, sometimes it's with schools, sometimes it's in corporate environments, we're talking mostly about the fitness. But this, of course, comes up. Undoubtedly, it's going to come up, and we call it 35 the hard way which just means that a pound is, I believe, 3,500 calories. You already referenced one of the estimates that you burn about 100 calories per mile, whether you're walking or whether you're running. And so then thinking about, well, you have to go out and do 35 miles on paper to just lose one pound. And we're all for running and walking, right? I mean, we attempt to live out a mission to grow, to support, and to enhance a pedestrian active lifestyle. But some people don't find that to be particularly good news. So now that we think about, well, gosh, if it really is where 35 miles are necessary to lose one pound, how disturbing and distressing might that be? And we go back to balancing fitness and we go with that mindset that we're going to improve our nutrition. Talk to me about metabolism because we basically disrupt that conversation we're having during our presentation saying we're not metabolic rate experts. That's why we have the conversation with someone like Sarah. Now help us have that conversation. What can you tell us about metabolism and why maybe for certain people, maybe even a lot of different times, you don't really have to do 35 miles to lose one pound because your metabolism will eventually come into play. This and if you're taking care of the nutrition, because it is a lot easier to cut out 3,500 calories over the course of a week or over the course of two weeks than it is to get get in those 35 miles in if that is not what you're already doing. Um, and I always explain it to people too, it's 35 miles on top of what you're already doing if you don't want to change your nutrition habits. You know, but a banana is 125-ish calories. So like you think about these little things, they don't have to be good calories or bad calories. Again, I don't love those terms for thinking about it as units of energy. When you start to balance out some of those extras in your diet and kind of figure out what you don't really need to be having, the 3,500 calories adds up a lot faster when you also throw in whatever sort of mileage you're doing on top of that. But your question was about metabolism. Yes. So um, we all have one. Um, It's called our resting or basal metabolic rate. Very, very finite differences on how those are measured. But basically, when we talk about our metabolism, we are talking about the number of calories that our body requires every single day to survive. 
So this is like if you laid in bed for 24 hours a day for your heart to pump, for your lungs to exchange oxygen, it does not even get, count getting up and sitting upright. It does not count going to work every day. And it definitely does not count any activity that you're doing on top of sort of like your daily life stuff. Um, and the, the funny thing about metabolism um, is that it is typically a lot higher than what most of us assume. Hmm. And there's a bunch of takeaways from this. Um, one is that if you eat less calories than what your metabolic rate is, and we actually do measure it in calories, it's actually something we can also do in our office at Good Measure Meals, it's one of our nutrition appointments. It's one of the coolest things we do, I have to say. Um, but if you think about that um, in terms of calories, if you are consuming fewer calories than your metabolic rate, which again is your survival calorie needs, it 100% works for losing weight. But it makes your body think that you're legitimately starving and you don't have enough food to eat. And so over time, it starts to slow down and hold on to your fat stores um, so that you will continue to live. You will not drop dead tomorrow if you do not consume as many calories as your resting metabolic rate. But over time, you will start to feel pretty terrible. Energy levels are gonna be low. Your body's gonna start breaking down its lean or muscle mass, which is something that we never wanna be breaking down in an effort to lose weight or run a race or whatever. Um, and it makes it very, very hard to maintain weight loss in the long run. Once that metabolic rate is down, once it's dropped, it doesn't just pop back up either when you decide you wanna eat a you know, normal intake again. It's a permanent decrease and the only way to actually boost it back up is to put on some lean mass. And to put on lean mass, you have to do resistance work. So you have to have someone helping you, you know, coaching you, making sure you're doing this safely. And then once you put on muscle, you gotta keep doing the work to maintain the muscle. So one of my big things I'm always working with with clients is to not ever undercut those metabolic needs um, because your body will do everything it can to keep you alive longer, but it will start to sacrifice a lot of things that are gonna help your performance, um, whether it's running or just, again, being a uh, functional human in society. That is fascinating. And you know what, if there's nothing else I do when I'm talking with guests about this particular consideration, I'm gonna trade out the term metabolism for survival calorie rate. That just makes it sound more serious. Survival, yeah. calorie rate, and metabolism synonyms in my book okay. this is how i speak about it so i often are telling people i'm like you don't want to just be surviving right now you want to be thriving sure so we need to get you at that appropriate caloric level whatever your goals are they could be to gain weight it could be to maintain weight it could be lose weight it could be to run your first 10k mm -hmm. what are your caloric needs to give you the energy to do those things in the best way possible which is where i view us as thriving instead of just surviving Excellent. Well, that's why I made that statement as an absolute that I knew all of us could learn something from that question and certainly from you. So let's go to the other side of the bell curve now. And, and wonderfully enough, many of our listeners can appreciate that it is fall racing season, right? It's that time of year. And we have many out there who may already be registered for an event, whether it's a half, a full, an ultra marathon, maybe it's a triathlon or an adventure race. Maybe it may just be a, a ride or a paddle that they're planning on doing with some friends. Now that we have that person who is, is truly uh, and rightfully considered an athlete, they may not ever make the Olympic team, they may never even win their age group or finish whatever distance they ultimately aspire to, but we believe they're athletes. And now we have to think about, and you used the word wonderfully earlier, fueling. Let's talk for a few minutes about fueling. 
for these individuals who are now subjecting themselves to intense workouts in pursuit of increasing their chances in these events that I mentioned earlier. What should be happening with them or for them nutritionally so they'll get the most out of the effort that they're putting into their training right now? Well, as I said earlier, this is the reason why I got into diet. Yes, the Chicago Marathon. And it is still one of my favorite things to teach and to talk about and to support people on their journey. And so, I mean, there's some some basics, then we can build it out if you, however you see fit. But number one rule, carbohydrates are every endurance athlete, runner, long distance walker's best friend. Carbs got such an ugly rap for a while, and I think even people that are trying to perform at higher levels started thinking about how much they were consuming carbs, and we know the research shows that you need the carbohydrate to fuel your body for what you're doing. And the science behind that is that carbohydrates are our quickest and easiest energy source. We actually start to break them down um, in our mouth where other, um, the the fat and the protein actually kind of have to go through your full digestive system before you get the energy from it. So they digest fast, which is why we refuel with them, which I'll get to in a second. Um, But they also, our body relies on fuel from carbohydrate as our heart rate goes up at a greater percentage than it can use fat. So when you are running, your heart rate is higher than when you are walking. And when you are running, you have less oxygen circulating to help the process of breaking down body fat for fuel. And so we require that energy from carbohydrates. And we have a fairly limited store of carbohydrate in our body. So it is our, we need to, to do our due diligence of making sure that we are consuming it at the right times. And this is all different depending on your, your distance, how much you're training, et cetera. But number one, carbohydrates are required. Required. Do you have some preferred ways to recommend that people get those carbohydrates? Obviously a massive amount of choice to how to get them. Yeah. Some of your favorites might well, be. So let's actually just break down what carbs are. Okay. Sometimes I think that's confusing. <laughs> so carbohydrates, actually all those things that we're talking about before are plants. So we get carbs from fruits. We get carbs from whole grains. We do get some carbs from vegetables, although it's a much smaller ratio compared to those other sources. So when we're thinking about our everyday, we need to make sure we're doing our due diligence of just getting some plant-based um, whole, if you will, something about whole grains and you know real fruits and vegetables throughout, um, throughout our just normal day-to-day intake. When we start talking about pre and post exercise, Um, or um, fueling for a race, or again, whether it's just a run you're going out. That carbohydrate that you consume depends on the amount of time you have to digest, um, as well as your preference and what you can tolerate. So there's a lot of of simple, simple things that you can do. Um, If it's pre-run, stop by Big Peach. There's so many brands right now and so many products that are putting out um, formulas uh, based on the carb- carbohydrate ratio that you need to kind of perform. Um, so those are great things to have with you while you're especially on some sort of endurance thing. But if it's if it's before you roll out of bed in the morning and you're going for a run and you don't have a ton of time to digest something, start with a piece of fruit. Do a sport drink. Again, things that you can get um, at Big Peach. This does not mean that you're going to go for a three-mile run and you need to eat three cups of pasta before you go out. Um, the, the larger quantities need to be reserved for different times um, and different events. So you're one of us, and then you also have an expertise that, that we do not have and that we lean into you for. 
let's say the Chicago Marathons tomorrow and assuming that the training is similar to what it was in 2003 or, or perhaps even better, what are some choices that you make? Take us to race day for Sarah Shanahan and maybe it's right after the alarm goes off and you're up and you know it's a big day all the way through that final stretch and let's assume that you do have a bit of a, a post run celebration that we, we turn the calorie counter off for a little bit, <laughs> but take us right through that home stretch to the finish line and some of the choices you might make. That's a great question. So actually backtrack a little bit day before. Okay. So starting day before. That's one of the places we continue to make our errors, D2. Day yeah. before, you got to take care of yourself, especially when you're going to do something that is a marathon or an ultra. I mean, you're going to be on your feet for however many hours it's going to take you to, to finish it. So you need to rest a little bit. Um, you need to focus on your hydration. Um, hydration isn't just from water. You need to make sure there's some electrolytes involved in that. And so whether that is that you have something that's got carbon electrolyte together, salty pretzels, there's an option. Um, but you know, building out your day before is just as important as day of and morning of. Um, my biggest rule of thumb is to never, ever, ever try anything new. Okay. You Great need advice. to have, yeah, so this is part of your training is to figure out the foods that you're gonna eat and then not divert from them or diverge from them. Um, so morning of, you wake up, you gotta get hydrated. And you know, there's so many different races, like New York City Marathon, you go sit out in Staten Island for five hours before you start running. So you know, it, it depends on your actual race day is what your plan is gonna look like. Against Take kind you. of a cautious approach <laughs> yes. to how much hydration. Yeah. I remember being out there and thinking, this is not the same hydration plan when I'm getting ready to do the Atlanta 10 miler right. and I can use the restroom minutes before we right. get started. Right. Yeah. You're lined up for a full hour before you even get to start walking. I mean, that's exhausting in itself, but, um, stick to, uh, if you've got three to four hours to digest something, I always suggest doing some sort of carbohydrate again, that you know is tolerable. Maybe it's a bagel. Maybe you do like to have a cup of pasta in the morning. Again, most people don't need three cups of pasta, but some, some, some might, <laughs> um, but you know, figure out whatever that carbohydrate is that you know, you can, and tolerate um, and then if you do have an, uh, an extra several hours to digest add some protein into it so maybe it is a bagel with some scrambled eggs or some toast with some scrambled eggs if you are in a situation where you have a very limited amount of time we need this to be really simple but let's go back to most of us we're gonna wake up early we're gonna start drinking our water we're gonna make sure we have some salt involved in that we're gonna have that carbohydrate, maybe a little bit of protein, we end up getting down to the race day. Wanna also make sure that you continue to have some fluids with you. And the recommended amount is like eight to 12 ounces, like okay. 20 to 30 minutes before you start. And this does not take into account what you've packed for during your time out there. Um, because about every 45 minutes or so, most people do um, really well with having some carbohydrate um, replacement, including electrolytes, and then also fluids. About every 45 minutes. I think that's the second time that that number's come up. We had a listener submit a question not too long ago, and they were looking beyond that because that was their frequency was every 45 minutes. So it's good to hear you indicate that is sensible because I think D2 and I also doubled down on that. Last question before we let you off the hook. You mentioned a dietary consultation that you and your colleagues do at Good Measure Meals. We're big fans of individual assessment. We do it through what we do with our fit process. We do it when somebody has some kind of discomfort and there's maybe an injury diagnosis that we try to do fully recognizing we're not physicians. Give me a little bit of insight on how you do a dietary consultation. Oh, that's great. So. Um, 
most people come in just for a one hour initial consult where we actually have you fill out a two page or just a two sided document before. So we have a general sense of what's going on with you. What are your goals? Any medical things that are going on, nutritional considerations, food allergies, etc. Um, and we can pretty much work with anyone. So you bring that form back to us. Um, the first session is an hour and we really, it's, it's really based on each individual person. There is no one agenda that works for every client that we work with. So it, a lot of that first hour is just really getting to know each other and figuring out you know, what is actively and currently going on in each client's life and then how can we start to, back to what I said about slow and steady, um, how can we start to make a few of those changes? We do 30 minute follow-up appointments, which again are just check-ins on, on what is going on and what is that next goal that we can work towards or next step towards the goal. And then we also do the resting metabolic rate testing, which we talked okay. about before, which I think is the coolest thing hands down that we do, um, where we can actually give you an accurate um, calorie target based again specifically on your goals but we learn what your resting metabolic rate is and then do all the math to figure out how many um how much extra calories you're expending on a day-to-day -day basis to get back to your goals and then in all of our sessions we also do body composition analysis which so you go to your doctor and you step on a scale or you go to the gym and you step on a scale and you get a weight but it doesn't tell you what that weight is comprised of so we're looking at your body fat your muscle mass your hydration status so we can actually get a bigger picture of what is going on inside your body than just the weight on the scale wow very cool and, and very comprehensive well sarah you are a great friend to us to big peach running company and certainly to the pedestrian active and healthy living communities in and around Atlanta. We appreciate what you do every day. For those of you who want to become even better friends with Sarah, you can reach her at S Shanahan. That's S-S-H-A-N-A-H-A-N at goodmeasuremeals.com. You can learn much more about Good Measure Meals at their website, www.goodmeasuremeals.com. Of course, we will include a link on our show notes, but we appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. Cool. And we will be right back after this brief message. We'll be to the Run ATL podcast, D2, to a quick break. And then you and I are coming right back with the podcast payout. Fall may seem like it's a couple months away, but training for fall races starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across that finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Buy 10 or more individual packages and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Club and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Don't be foolish. Come into Big Peach Running Company and stock up so you're long run ready. Welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As promised before going to that break, we were coming right back, D2, with the podcast payout. Let's do it. What have you for us? All right, so um, this uh, question comes from Allison uh, Aikenberry. And uh, so uh, Allison gets a Run ATL uh, t-shirt of your choice. So we'll be contacting you and make what sure that you get that. What a great last name. Aikenberry, is I that? Aikenberry, that yeah. That is... I hope I'm pronouncing it uh, you know, correctly. If you're not, it's really rolling off the tongue nicely. <laughs> That's a good last name. 
So, um, so yeah, if anyone uh, has a question for us, please uh, email us at uh, podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com uh, to be uh, entered into the podcast payout. So, Alice's question is, with half slash full marathon training in full swing, at what running distance or weekly mileage is it a good idea to consider higher cushion running shoes? Now, this is there is no clear-cut answer. There is no that says, oh, at this particular mileage of, you know, when you're doing your runs, this is when you should switch your shoes. It's really going to be personal. From my experience, I've, I've trained for half marathons and, and full marathons, and depending on the shoe that I'm wearing, as I start getting into longer uh, miles, for me, it happened to be in this one instance when I was doing an 18-mile uh, run, I started feeling pain on the top of my foot. In that instance, it became a, a fit issue, not a cushioning issue, because as you start putting in the longer miles and you start putting back-to-back days of long runs, your foot's going to swell and it's not going to fit the same way in the shoes that when you're running, say, a 5K or 10K or even a half marathon. So you have to kind of look at that and then determine whether it's a fit issue and then, you know, get a different shoe that is going to accommodate you know the swelling um, at that at those distances to make sure that you can get to that finish line and get to 26.2 um, and then also determine if it's if it's not a fit issue and the shoe fits fine is there any discomfort on those longer runs when you start doing you know back-to-back run you know long days of, of running and the additional mileage whether you're feeling any discomfort on the bottom of your foot because you want to make sure that you're going to be comfortable and that you know it you're, the pain that you're feeling is not going to be something that you're mentally going to be concentrated on that's going to deter you from reaching your goal Excellent. Now, do you mind if I build on that? I don't know if I have anything of any real value to add. I just want to be able to say Eikenberry <laughs> one more time. Go ahead. So, so Miss Eikenberry, here's what I would add to what D2 said. And sometimes a more cushioned shoe also comes with a little bit more weight in the total package. One of the things that I think is not oftentimes stated is when you pull a little bit of weight out of the shoe, you actually have the chance of reducing the time on the clock assuming that the course conditions and your level of training are the same. So if you are interested in what that clock reads or you're pursuing a personal best, if you use a higher cushion shoe for some or much of your training and then want to go to a lighter weight package that yes, ahead of time, you've tried on longer distances and have been able to tolerate the way your feet feel, it is estimated and scientifically proven that for every ounce that you pull out of your shoe, again, assuming course conditions and training are the same, you can shave off four to six seconds per mile from your time. Of course, if you take those four to six second savings and multiply it over the course of a half or full marathon distance, it can be relatively significant. So oftentimes training in a higher cushion shoe and then trading it out for something that's a little bit lighter on race day, assuming your feet can tolerate the thinner midsole, always something that is of interest to that person who is going for some speed consideration. So I had to say that last name at least one more time. Eikenberry, Allison, thank you very much for being an entrant and a winner in this podcast payout for everyone else who would to share would like to share in Allison's good fortune. D2 gave you how to do that earlier, but I am not going to repeat it because instead I'm going to ask my friend here another question, one he did not know was coming. So I was 
out and about and somebody was talking to me about the podcast, enjoyed it, was very appreciative of their comments. One of the things they asked me was, why do you call him Dolomite Dave? And of course there's a story to that. Would you be kind enough to close us out with why we do call you D2 Dolomite Dave? So I wish there was a, a you know you know you know a funny story really and 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 maybe there is I don't know but you know when when everyone starts working at a big peach running company there's always kind of like you know everyone has kind of a nickname and it sometimes it happens naturally sometimes it happens just for whatever reason and so everyone was kind of struggling it's like well, what you need a nickname what's your nickname and I went for several months and and there wasn't a really good nickname and you know we ended up going to um, we had an event that was sponsored by one of our vendors and we went zip lining uh, up at Lake Lanier. So I ended up showing up and, you know, I think I was trained for, you know, a, a, a triathlon. So I had been running, I had been biking or whatever. And so I show up and I'm dressed in, you know, vendor gear, but I also got like compression sleeves on and, you know, I got jacket because it's a little windy. And you yeah. are looking the part at that point. Well, you and, and, are yeah, a and, and, zip line specialist, so, I would imagine. Yeah, so here I am, and it's like, and of course now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're you got the, the harness, and you got, you know, hard hat on, and I got you know, these aviator sunglasses on, and someone looks like, looks at me and says, you look like you're ready to climb the Dolomites. And then that's, it went Dolomite Dave, and then D2, and so that's kind of how that evolved, and it's kind of stuck, so. Very, very cool. I'm glad that it did stick. It rolls off my tongue. Also, like Allison Eikenberry, D2, you are, of course, a pleasure to work with. I thank you for everything that you do you. for this podcast and this production. We'll be back in just two weeks for another episode. In the meantime, may your best miles be those covered on foot. <laughs>